I want to tell you about one of my teachers at school, okay? Her name was Mrs. Beard and she taught music. I am fairly convinced that she was related to a troll. Um, or actually, probably more likely a... No, what is it in Lord of the Rings with all the beards? Dwarf. Dwarf. So I think she was related to a dwarf. She was very short uh, and very angry all the time. All the time. And she probably plucked as well. Um, but um, Mrs. Beard taught me music. In fact, she taught, she taught the whole school music. Uh, and the music that she taught us was... Um, very much B-list musicals. Uh, these were musicals that had been written for school children, so they were relatively easy and copyright-free. So we had to kind of get through those. And she also taught the recorder. And so we'd all sit there with the recorders in our mouths, and some of them, the boys, I'm sure it was the boys, would blow really hard and make them squeak. Yes, any parents, you understand what an inept recorder sounds like. Um, and she would walk around going, who's huffing? Who's huffing? And, uh, yeah, she was... She was uh, not so much of an inspiration to me, can I say. Um, I was really interested in music. I don't say talented in music. I was really interested. So I learned the guitar. I liked to sing. I learned the drums. And I learned the recorder. Grade two. Thank you very much. I can still do my piece. Um, but uh, Mrs. Beard was not my inspiration. But what happened was, when I was in year nine... Mrs. Beard retired, okay. Probably not one day later than she was entitled to. She retired and in came Mrs. Harrington. Okay, oh my goodness. Mrs. Harrington was like the opposite. She was tall and willowy and she was a singer. She played the piano to sort of a company, but she was a singer. She was like a real singer. So Gone was Lieutenant Cockatoo, which I remember was one of the musicals we sang. Just for the sheer coincidence of it, did anyone ever sing Lieutenant Cockatoo at school? No, okay. Yeah, there's a reason why. It's rubbish. Um, and we started to sing like Gilbert and Sullivan. After school, we could get together and we could take part in Gilbert and Sullivan. And she actually got the choir to sing Carmina Burana. She hired in professional soloists and we sang at the Civic Centre. And it was just completely different. And one day, so that, this was, if you like, the keynotes did, did all that. But in, in lessons as well, she was really inspiring. And I remember her standing up one day and she'd been to see the musical Cats. Yes, if you, if you know it, Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And she decided, I could, I could tell on reflection, she decided she was going to expose us to real music and a live performance by her. So she started to sing the song Memory from Cats. I don't know if you know it. Do you memory? She came out, yes. All alone in the moonlight. And she's emoting, okay. And we're year nines, okay. So we're really uncomfortable with our own emotions, let alone a teacher, right? Teachers don't have emotions, do they? They're just machines. Um, what is it? I remember the old days. She does, I was beautiful then. And we're like, oh, it was like a really uncomfortable, I don't know if you know the song, but it swells. And it swells into this lyric. Okay, are you ready? Touch me. It's so easy to leave me. And we were... I don't know, astonished would be an understatement to see a teacher emoting Andrew Lloyd Webber loudly, okay. And it left us with some questions. Where has she been? And what is she doing? Yes, and I'm going to come back to Miss Harrington 
later on this morning. Okay, that's Mrs. Harrington. Hold her in your head. Singer from Cats. No, singer of Cats. Um, because we're in the middle of a series called Disciple Shift. Oh, there we go, it's up there. Um, and that idea that there's this shift, that uh, discipleship isn't the being a Christian person that is going to church and being nice and not fiddling our taxes, that, that that is not being a Christian, that being a Christian is something that needs us to shift in our perception. And it's been a really important uh, word for us as a church, because we've come through this year thinking about we want to put our desire for the presence of God must be more than our desire for anything else. And then God moved us through a season of actually saying, we need to be real. Yeah, we just need to be ourselves, which means I can stand here and not being a singer, I can sing a, my rendition of Cats and you just go, oh, it's just her. And we're all allowed to be just us, with each other. And it's freeing, which means that now God has put down the foundations that we can actually shift something, not pretend to be something different, um, not do it because uh, we feel obligated, because actually we want him more than anything else, but actually we want to shift, we want to move into all that he has for us. And Adam um, painted this picture from the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't seen part two of this series, go back and have a look at the podcast, because I was struck by the Sermon on the Mount in a completely new and fresh way, because Jesus paints a picture of a compelling difference when we become true disciples. It's not, well, if it is a shift, it's a seismic shift. Yes, it's a complete change. And then um, he taught us about how this shift is a process that is made up of moments, that we mustn't miss out on the moments, but also we mustn't just chase the moments and forget that actually it's a process. Uh, then last week, Adam spoke about how we want to become a people who are after God's own heart, that there is this meta-desire that we want to be people after God's heart to please him, and that that comes underneath our immediate desires for cake or, I don't know, to do something that might impress someone, and it comes above even our ultimate desires for a happy life, financial security, success in our own eyes or other people's. Yes, that we just, we want to please God. And today, I want us to take another step forward. And I really pray that we could be willing to do that. Um, and it's this. I want us to do three things in a way. I want us to recognize something new. So use our heads, if you like. Um, I want us to embrace something. Um, so to accept it, obviously recognize it first, so you judge it first, if I'm right, then embrace it, and then finally to act on it, and it is this, okay, I want us to recognize, embrace, and act on this idea that you are influencing eternity, yeah, not the person next to you, not the, just the people in the Bible, but you are influencing eternity. And if you feel fully confident that that's already happening, feel free to sit back or go out there and do some more influencing. Um, but if not, I, I really pray and I, I, I implore you to lean in and be willing to shift as I'm shifting with this message. Um, because there's a problem with this statement, which is that we don't believe it. And we kind of don't want to believe it. It seems a bit distasteful. It seems a bit sort of up yourself, doesn't it? Oh, I'm influencing eternity. Um, but actually, 
saying, making a statement like that, or disagreeing with a statement like that, actually, can I start there? Disagreeing with a statement like that isn't the same as humility. Humility is agreeing with God and saying he knows better than we do. It's not humble to say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. It's actually humble to say, if you say it, I'll believe it and I'll act on it. Um, because we have, a, we have a slightly warped or perhaps a new um, definition of what is an influencer. It's, it's a, a star on YouTube, isn't it? Or it's someone who's really good at sports or the arts. Uh, we think of influencers as maybe people who have got a particular look or, if you like, the bank account that can pay for a surgeon to create that particular look. Yes, these are the influencers in our society as we might see them, or, or celebrities, you know, people with talent. Um, but actually, influence is something different in the kingdom. It's being willing to put yourself out there and to inspire, to pull, to, to help, to <laughs> influence is really the right word, um, to sway someone's opinion so that they will accept what God says about them, which is that he loves them, he's got a plan for their life. Um, to, to live in such a way as to effect change, to live in such a way as our lives compel someone to be interested and think, what is different about that person? so that they will be uh, seeing a model of what it means to follow Jesus. Not to mimic us, we don't want people to mimic us, do we? Become the same as us, but so that they can mimic what we have done, which is to lay ourselves open, uh, to surrender all to God, and what that means in terms of now coming to life and living with purpose and significance. Um, we also feel um, perhaps that we don't want to believe this statement because we fear we might fail to be an influence. We'll look behind us and there'll be no one following us and, you know, we're just not very interesting to other people. Um, so we might lack that self-belief. It might seem a little bit intense to believe this. I'm influencing eternity. Like it's, that's not really in my personality. I'm a quieter personality. Um, we don't want to... Uh, believe in superheroes. Um, and then we've also almost got our theological excuse. I mean, oh, there's only one Jesus. Jesus does the influencing. Jesus does the saving. Um, and this is true. But he does do it through us. And um, I'd like to just spend a bit of time thinking of this morning about God's thoughts on us being influencers. What God the Father and Jesus teach in the Bible and, uh, and come to a place where we can more rightly see ourselves and therefore act confidently on being influencers for all eternity. Um, so last week, Adam referred to a number of uh, rather imperfect people, but obedient people uh, in the Bible, quite a lot of them. And so I'm just going to actually, I'm going to whiz through them a little bit. If you want to know the backstories to some of these characters, uh, either look in the Bible, um, and I can tell you where to find those stories, or um, you can listen back to last week's preach. Um, but he talked about Gideon, who, who uh, obeyed God, even though he felt like he was um, sort of the, the runt of his family, and he saved his people from 
from the Midianites, yes? He went into battle, he shouted, for the Lord and for Gideon. So I'm doing this for God, but I'm also doing it, if you like, for me, because it's, it's my destiny to do this. And he saved his people. We heard about Noah, who saved the whole human species and all the animal species. Yes, we heard about Moses, who saved the Israelites by bringing them out of slavery um, and away from the Egyptians. We talked about Joseph, who saved 75 members of his own family and also all of Egypt and the surrounding nations. Okay? Do you feel okay to say that those people saved lives? Yes, we do, don't we? Yes, God did it, but those people did their part and they saved lives. Do you feel good about saying, pointing to yourself and saying, I have the uh, ability to save people? Yes? Uncomfortable or okay? Let's have a think about it, yes? <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Um, because God chooses us to be a major influence on the world today. Now, since, uh, since Jesus came and gave the Great Commission, he asks us to influence people, not just, if you like, to be uh, medical or, or, or world leaders that save lives in that sense, but if we believe that life goes on beyond the grave, that actually God creates souls for all eternity, then we have a place in saving people for all eternity. It feels even weird saying save people. I, I'm uncomfortable with it, but it's, I, I do believe it's what the Bible teaches. And it's kind of messing with my head. Hopefully it's messing with yours. Um, spiritual influence, which is what we're talking about, is eternal and it comes from God. In fact, um, what I'd like to do is um, just tell you one of the stories. Uh, there was uh, this character, Jacob, who was a father. He was father of Joseph, actually. And I'm going to ask Adam to come up and be... Who are you going to be? You're going to be Jacob. Okay, oh, Charlotte, come, come, come. Uh, and uh, Grace, can you come, please? So these are, this, is, uh, this is my husband, Adam, and these are my two daughters. Now, this particular account, you've got Jacob, okay, and you've got Joseph. I'm going to play the part of Joseph. And Jacob is nearly dying, okay? His eyes, his eyes are weak, okay? Um, he's not doing that well. So um, Joseph uh, has been asked to bring his sons for Jacob's final blessing, and the symbolism of this is that, is that Jacob holds the blessing of God. Okay, and so uh, Joseph uh, puts, puts Manasseh, who is the oldest, um, ready for Jacob to bless with his right hand. Because he's the older child, okay? So he's going to bless Manasseh with the big blessing. And then you've got Ephraim here, okay? Little Ephraim, who is going to get the lesser blessing, okay? And these are the blessings from God. And this was just completely normal, okay? The, the, um, the patriarch, the father um, of, the, of the whole family would bless the children as he was dying. Okay, but Jacob did something which did not please Joseph. It says in the Bible, it didn't please Joseph. And what he did was he swapped his hands over. Okay, they might need to come forward a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to give yourself an injury. Okay, there we go. Um, so he swapped his hands over. And Joseph's going, no, 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 Dad. Not that way. The other way. You know, this is the older and this is the younger. You need to give your big blessing to this one. These are children, yes? Um, but Jacob, he says, no, no. I am going to bless who I'm going to bless, and that this is from God. Thank you very much for the illustration. Feel free to find your seats. Um, he says this. Um, he says, I know my son, I know. He also, meaning the bigger one, shall become a people. He also shall be great, but his younger brother shall be greater than him. 
and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Yes, because these were children and the blessing of God, the influence that these boys that then became men um, had was not from Jacob, it was from God. And he was the one who, were, who it was coming through. Um, and it was not earned by these boys. It was God had a plan. And God has a plan for you. He has chosen you to have an influence over your sphere. It says in the Bible that um, God has planned good works for us to do. And he has planned good works for each of us individually to do. There are people in your sphere of influence, in your orbit, who you will influence because God has put you there. And we don't want to fail to do this, do we? Um, but there is a reality check that I would like to bring on this. This is a little bit of our experience um, as a family. Um, we don't feel like influencers even while we're in the process of influencing. We don't feel like saviors. I don't think I've ever felt like a savior. But even as we're influencing people towards salvation, we don't feel like it. And um, uh, one of the examples of this is um, we, quite a lot of years ago, we invited uh, a couple and their son to come and live with us. This, this couple had come into the country as asylum seekers and they'd come down to our church and they'd said, we've got nowhere to live, we've got no money, we've got nothing. And uh, we felt that it would be the right thing to ask them to come and stay with us so that they could kind of establish themselves, start to get work, do the whole process of a, um, firming up their asylum status. Um, and they came and it wasn't great, to be honest. Um, they wouldn't work, uh, they didn't parent their child very well at all, and there was a lot of noise and a lot of chaos. Um, and they had said they were Christians, and I don't think we really saw the fruit of that in the way that they were living. Um, and so it was really quite awkward. And while they were with us, we were with us about five months, um, they became pregnant again, so they were expecting their second child. And I remember uh, Tony and Baber were their names, and Baber came downstairs and she said, oh, you know, I've just discovered that I'm pregnant again. Um, and she's crying, and I'm saying, you know, this is wonderful, this is great news. She said, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to keep the fetus, she called it. Um, uh, she said, I'm, I'm going to go to the hospital, I'm going to get an abortion. And I remember speaking to her and saying, Baber, please don't do this. You know, look at Victor, look at your little boy. There's no way, you, I mean, they are adored him, which is probably why they didn't parent him with quite as many boundaries as he needed. But um, how, can you, how can you think this? Um, and so she went back upstairs and then she came back down again. She said, okay, I, I won't. I won't do that. Um, but uh, a while later, um, I think it was just before the three, I can't, I don't know what the law is in terms of how late you can do that, but um, it was getting close and she came downstairs and she said, no, I've got to do this and I've got to do it now because otherwise um, I won't be able to, to end this pregnancy. Um, and I remember we had, uh, right now we have a very large hallway in our house, but in those days we had a really narrow hallway. We'd done an extension and the, the hallway didn't quite make sense, but it was very narrow and it just so happened that Adam, when they came to us, Adam and I were standing in the hallway in such a way that it blocked their exit from the house. We weren't trying to block their exit, but it's just where we were standing. And I remember standing and, and saying to Baber and Tony, just really, you, I didn't even say just think about what you're doing. I'd, I was beyond that. I just said, please don't, don't do this. Don't, 
you, you're killing your child. This is what the Bible says, is that, you know, ending a life is something that only God can do. And um, they, they went upstairs to have a think. And then at the same time, they'd explained that we need to just make them homeless in order that they would be able to be housed. They said, while we're with you, we can't, we can't do that, so you need to make us homeless. Um, and so they, de they, they decided that that was it, right, that they were going to be made homeless. And we had agreed to do it. So it wasn't like, we didn't exactly kick them out. Um, but at the same time, they sort of decided, and we had to say that we had, because we'd already agreed that we would move them out. Um, and how would we know whatever happened to that life? Um, we wouldn't, would we? Um, we did our best to influence, but it felt rubbish, uh, to coin Charlotte's phrase. Uh, it really did feel like that. <laughs> um, so I said, yeah. Um, and a couple of years later, we were walking in the high street, <clears throat> and suddenly we heard a yelp, and, uh, and Tony had bumped into us. He ran over to us. Uh, he said, come here, come here. He took us to where baby was standing with a pram, with a baby, with Victor standing next to it. And, they, and he said to us, didn't he? He said, thank you for my child. So I saved a life, <laughs> you know, together. We saved a life. How humbling is that? But did it feel good at the time? Did I feel like an influencer and savior? I didn't, it felt rubbish. And you know, we've learned a lot about sharing our home since then. We probably didn't set very good boundaries at the start and all of that. It doesn't need to be a disaster, anyone who's thinking about opening their home. But it did not feel good. And so this morning when I said, I want you to know that, what was it, you are influencing eternity. I want you to feel that you're influencing eternity. If you don't feel it, that's the least of our aims. If you don't feel it, it's okay. Because knowing it and doing it is actually enough. I hope you can feel it because it kind of inspires you. Yes, but, but if you can know and do, it's enough. Um, there are, there are saviours in the Bible, aren't there? The, the, the little boy who brought his pat lunch and gave it to Jesus. Like, do you think he felt like a saviour? He didn't, did he? Do you think he felt like an influencer? And yet that led to a miracle that led 5,000 people to recognise the Son of God for all eternity. Yeah? Um, silly things. Mary Magdalene crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. Uh, you know, if you like doing something really base, uh, really embarrassing on, on one level, and yet has inspired and influenced millions of Christians to worship God with all they've got and to put him first and not to care what anyone else thinks. Feelings aren't an accurate measure to um, whether we are influencing eternity. And there is a solution to knowing and doing, and, and Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us how to know um, that we're influencing eternity and how to act on it. And we're going to have... Oh, oh, yes, that's the scripture I didn't read earlier. Um, and we're going to have a little read from Matthew 5, verse 13. Because if we can accept what Jesus taught us, then we can act on what Jesus taught us confidently. And it says this, Let me tell you why you are here. He's talking to us, okay? In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, let me, let me tell you why you're here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are here to be salt 
that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness. And here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. I, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? You can't do this in secret, by the way. Um, I am putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there, on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Turn to the person next to you and say, shine, shine, shine. And here is how. And this really does link back to the Be Real service, Be Real series. How do we shine? Keep open house. You know, be yourself, be willing to be seen, be generous with your lives. Be op by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Yeah, so what is Jesus teaching us? Because it's a metaphor, this salt and light thing, it's a metaphor. So it's helpful to know what did it mean then, and, uh, and therefore what does it mean to us. So I'm just going to kind of uh, go through this fairly quickly. And if you're writing notes, maybe write notes about this, because this is the bit that maybe you could reflect on a bit more uh, down the week. Salt uh, prevents decay. It stops corruption. And it means that we, we put our foot down and we say, no, a life is a life, whether it's pre-born or born. Yes, a life is a life. And we will not be, allow that truth to be corrupted by the latest thinking. Adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. It's the peri-peri of life. Yes, I love um, Erica. She's so peri-peri, isn't she? She just, she just lives and she's happy to be herself and just be out there. We love you, Erica. Yes. <laughs> and salt also... Also, <laughs> salt promotes healing and we pray for people and if you've got something you'd like prayer for at the end, you want to come because you've got a, a, a physical problem that needs healing, then come and we'll pray for you. But also a spiritual healing, a mental health healing. There's all sorts of healing that God does and when we live, when we shine, we can bring healing. Um, so that's salt. What does light do? Light focuses attention. Are we living lives that focus attention on Jesus, on the eternal? When we live, do people go, wow, I wonder what Jesus is like if, they, if they're following Jesus and they behave that way? Because it will focus attention. Um, light destroys darkness, which is a metaphor for evil. It's a metaphor within a metaphor. Yes, we destroy evil. We will not stand up for, for bad stuff. Yes, we will promote goodness and we will stamp down on badness. Um, and also light makes things clear and simple and plain. Yes, the Christian faith is rich and deep and we don't get to the end of it in our, in our steps on this world. But at the same time, it's simple. Jesus loves you, accept him, live for him. Go do it. It is simple as well. And this is what light does. And Jesus says, you are salt and light. Who is he speaking to? This is the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone remember? Who's he speaking to? Crowds of people. Not just the 12 apostles. Yes, this is everyone who's gathered. You are salt and light. Do you think he's speaking to that to us today? Yes, you are salt and light. Does he say you might be salt and light? You have a choice to be salt and light? You are salt and light. It is a position and it's a duty. Those two things. It's a position and a duty. 
And there's a bit of bad news. Yeah, it wouldn't be real if I didn't tell you the bad news as well, which is it takes courage. It takes effort. It takes intentionality to be salt and light and to stay there. It takes some humility to say, do you know what? I lost it there. I need to turn back round to Jesus and I need to ask for forgiveness and I need to try again. Yes, it takes humility, courage, intentionality. And there's another little bit of it, sort of um, implicit in the, in the reading. Um, he says, if salt loses its saltiness, or do you think I'd put a bucket over you? So there is, it is possible to lose our saltiness or to not shine. Yes, and that's why Jesus teaches these things. You always think, oh, it's in the Bible, everyone must accept it. No, it's in the Bible because we need that corrective. Um, so we might need that corrective. If you lose your saltiness, get it back. If you lose your willingness to shine, then turn around and get it back. We must be willing to explain the why behind the what. Why do you go to church on a Sunday? Why don't you just have a lie in? Is it because, oh, well, you know, it's my religion. <laughs> you know, that's a bit lame, right? Why? I love Jesus. I love his church. This is where I go to have my soul cleansed from the week's kind of uh, dust, yes? And to, and to meet my brothers and sisters and to be encouraged, yeah? I went and saw cats after hearing Mrs. Harrington's rendition. I went and saw cats myself. I saw Grizabella, that cat, uh, singing memories, I saw all the dancing, and it was that night I decided I was willing to pay the price to become a professional dancer myself. I was really inspired, and, and I did that. And those who, who know me uh, know that I went and I worked hard, and my feet bled, and my muscles ached, and my back creaked, and I danced for 10 years for a Christian dance company. Um, all because, if you like, there was that moment where I wasn't seeing someone else's inspiration. I met it for myself. Yes, now it was only a musical, but it inspired me enough that day to do what I needed to do to reach uh, the goal that I wanted, which was I want to be able to move people's hearts like that. Yes, and it's no good, is it? Um, just being um, an example of a Christian that explaining the why behind the what, that encounter with Jesus needs to come for people so that they can also become salt and light themselves, so that they can become our brothers and sisters. We don't aim for people to mimic us. We aim for them to become fully themselves, free, unique, born again. We used to talk a lot about being born again in the 80s and 90s, and it sort of seems to have fallen out of fashion. What does it mean to be born again? It means I was born once and I was alive physically. When I was born again, I was alive spiritually. It was as different as the womb to the hospital room or wherever you were born into. To go from the darkness of the womb to the light of the world, and then to go from the darkness of just being alive physically. Yes, yes, you spiritual person. If you're not a Christian today, you are a spiritual person. God has created that capacity within you. But to actually be born again takes a choice. And we encourage you and we compel you again to make that choice today. Ask Jesus into your life. Come to him and say, I have made a bunch of mistakes, but I've been told that you'll forgive me. I've been told that you'll love me, and so I'm trusting you, and I'm gonna invite you to my heart, and I'm gonna to say to you, I'm always gonna follow you. I'm gonna be a true disciple, and I'm never gonna turn back. And when I just shift a little wrong way, I'll shift back, because that's my commitment today.
It says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, set an example. <clears throat> so Christian, set an example in speech. Are you speaking about Jesus in such a way as it influences others? Not because you're working it up and you're tr cranking it in. In fact, come to small group this week because we're going to be thinking about how can we share our faith? How can we speak within our faith in a lawful way? We're looking at the uh, European Convention for Human Rights and what are we allowed to say in what context? And how can we say it wisely in a way that is driven by our love for other people? In a way that is gentle and is kind and is patient. Set an example in speech, in conduct. How do we live? In love, are we driven by love? In faith, are we driven by our relationship with Jesus? And in purity, we don't obey a bunch of rules because we say, oh, we're not allowed to do this and we're not allowed to do that. No, we don't even want to do those things after you've been following Jesus for long enough because you realize there's much better things than getting drunk or high or sleeping around or, you know, whatever it is. There's just better things, much more joyful things. Godliness and holiness don't make you irrelevant. They make you more relevant. So today, and I'm going to hand over to Kev just now. Um, I pray that, that we as a people would be willing to recognize that we are influencing eternity. Recognize it. Embrace it. And act on it. I hand over to Kev.